This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. Hello, fierce and lovelies. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to those of you who are new and are just joining us. I I just love having conversations with women who are walking out their own fierce and lovely story in different ways, in different stages of life, in different places. What I loved about today's guest is she and I have so much in common, and yet this was the first time we had ever talked with one another. It's one of those relationships where we had kind of been following each other online and finally had the chance to talk, and there's so much overlap in our lives. She lives in Seattle, which is where I live. She's attending the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, which is where my husband went, and so I feel like just by spousal proximity, uh, proxy. I was a student there as well. It's it's the whole um, method of counseling that our center operates out of. She's involved in anti-sex trafficking work, which you know I just kind of concluded my journey in that. And her favorite woman in the Bible is Hagar. And you know that that's my, she's mine too. And so we just had so much in common, such a fun conversation. She is an amazing woman. And what I love about Danielle Castillejo is that she is mid-life, mid-career, raising four kids and yet choosing to go back to grad school and work and, and kind of balance it all and rediscover who she is and her own passion based on some cultural baggage that we're going to get into. I just hope that you find yourself in her story. I hope that you are encouraged by her as I was. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Danielle. Danielle, welcome to the podcast. I am so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, you are one of those people that I have been following online, and I feel like we have so many different connections and overlap. And yet here we are finally talking for the first time on this podcast. And so I'm just really looking forward to getting to know you better and for my audience to hear more of your work and your story. So let's start there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, what occupies your day and your heart and some of your passions? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's interesting how we can form kind of like these virtual connections through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And then it's just like a delight to talk to someone and hear their real voice. So thank you. Um, Yes. My name is Danielle Castillejo, but a lot of people will recognize me by my German last name, which is Reeb, R-U-E. 
E-B. And my mom is Mexican, my dad's German. So part of my identity was growing up in a two-culture world. So that that's an important part for me. And then when I married my husband, who is now a naturalized US citizen, when we went to fill out the paperwork for the INS, the judge accidentally wrote down the paperwork we were submitting to the government. He wrote down my maiden name, Reeb, instead of Castillejo. So our formal paperwork got submitted to the INS for his green card and citizenship as Reeb. And so we didn't feel like we could change or I could change my last name at that point. Everything was official and we wanted to follow the letter of the law. And now we're, I'm in it 17 years married and I'm thinking, man, I, I just love his last name and we've been in this so long. So more recently, I have been calling myself Castillejo. So that's why there's this discrepancy in my last name. That's great. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. thanks for that backstory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the long story, but a lot of people wonder like, who are you? Well, I'm actually all of those people. It's confusing, but here's why. So I love it. Well, tell yeah. us more. Tell us more about yourself. Okay. So I have four children. I've been married 17 years. Uh, my kids are 14, 12, 10, and eight years old. It goes in order of boy, girl, girl, boy. So I have a high schooler, a middle schooler, and two elementary students. I'm a full-time uh, grad student at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. And I'm studying to get my master's in counseling and psychology. Um, I'm really passionate about working with um, survivors uh, from the sex trade and human trafficking survivors. Really ties into my own personal story. And so I also work and intern part-time in South Seattle at an agency called REST that advocates for the freedom of sex workers and human trafficking survivors. So my life feels kind of like in these three sections, like family, work, and school. And um, it's just, it's been hard to balance, but at the same time, I feel like really invigorated and motivated and um, more of who I am kind of allowing those things to be messy and intersect. So yeah, it's a little bit about where I am. Well, what an encouragement to so many women who find themselves maybe in a similar spot where all kids are now in school and looking to kind of what's next for me. And you just launched right into grad school, which is a pretty big undertaking. So good for you. Thanks. <laughs> I actually, I forgot that I could read until my eight-year-old went to kindergarten. He went to kindergarten and my therapist handed me a book and I took it home and I had the space. I literally read the book in one night and I was like, oh my word, I can read again. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't even realize I had it in me. I didn't oh. realize it. So um, yeah. That's hilarious. It is, yeah. (laughs) Well, I want to get into more of your story and your work with REST, but before we do, tell us a little bit about how you see the intersection of fierce and lovely in your own life. Such a great, such a great combination because I think I grew up feeling like if I was fierce, I wasn't beautiful. And if I was beautiful, I wasn't who I was meant to be. Um, And for me, I am 
a, I have always had a passion for social justice and advocacy and really because of my identity having these two sides to it, the Mexican side and the German side, it's just this battle, be, even in myself, to be bold and proclaim and talk about things that are happening with um, socially marginalized people and also just allowing God to just um, speak into my life calm and and patience and I have found in the small moments of life, just the opportunity to be at the park with my kids or even sit with a friend that I don't have to always be fierce and I don't, and that doesn't mean that I'm not lovely. So yeah, it's just this play that kind of has played out in my life. I talk about lovely being uh, this joining with God to create spaces that are you know, of life and beauty. And that's, I hear that in your just carving out rest and play. That's what that is, right? Just bringing forth life and beauty into your world and um, into the world around you. I love that combination for you. I love asking all of my guests that, and everyone has a different take and a different um, response. It's It's been really encouraging and insightful for me. I hope too for my listeners. Um, Danielle, I would love to dive into just more of your work and what informs your work. Uh, You mentioned, you kind of alluded to some of it being related to your story. You're you're welcome to share that with us if you would like, but I would love to hear about what you're encountering at rest and and kind of some of the intersection of of trauma and and racial issues and marginalized peoples that you're you're working with. Tell us tell us more about all of that. Yeah, thank you. Um, just briefly, I got to grad school, and a lot of people said, "Oh, be so careful! You're gonna lose your faith when you get to grad school. You're gonna be careful. You're you're gonna lose your faith." And what I found was I actually encountered Jesus in this much deeper, broader level. And it happened partly in just my work at rest, like seeing people that literally and clients that literally, you know, are are crawling out of their skin from pain and just embodying a lot of what I've felt and and clinging and holding on. And yet there's something so lovely about, I can't offer everything in that moment, but I can offer a space to be present and a space to be known and a space to witness someone. And I think in me sitting with those clients and being a witness to their pain, but not an observer, but a witness, which is different, like remaining with them in the hard spaces, I have felt God reach into my life. And it's, you know, we get into therapy, like becoming a therapist, honestly, because there's so many parts of me and that I want to heal, that I want to see healed, that I didn't get healed. And so it's this weird dynamic, right? You're, you're becoming a therapist, heal others, but yet you're chasing after healing at the same time. And uh, what I found so life giving to me is just offering space to others to be witnessed. Um, And then, and then after that, just 
looking through the Old Testament and realizing that Eve, when she was created, they always say like she was the helper. And I'll tie it back in, but she was the helper. But in, in uh, Hebrew, the word is Azer. And Azer is used about 21 times in the Old Testament. And it refers to God as the ally, protector, and defender to the Israelites. So when I learned that, I'm like, oh, I am the ally, protector, and defender. I'm in partnership with my husband. And I remember sitting down with him and telling him that and just feeling freedom in me and feeling like he had a sense of freedom too. And it's just the combination of us, me being a biracial woman and him being a Mexican man and the stereotypes that come for both of us, like he's supposed to be macho and not change diapers and all of these things. And I'm supposed to like be at home, like, and I, I'm not supposed to be out just the way I was raised and just kind of looking at each other and being like, Oh, we're okay. And this is who God meant us to be. And then being able, then feeling the freedom that's allowed me the freedom to go back to school, to sit with clients. And so, yeah, that's, and, and also engage race and harm and just and just pursue pursue God among these different pathways. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, well, I'm curious about a number of things that you said. But <laughs> let's start with that that conversation with your husband. At what point in your marriage, how many years had you been married and living a certain way together? before you had that conversation? And then what was that shift like for the two of you to, to make, particularly with your cultural background and, and family members and, and everyone around you? Yeah, we've been married 15 years. That's an interesting question. And honestly, like we were on the mission field for a couple years and our team leader said, hey, Danielle, you really need to stay home more. I was out meeting with women and doing business things. And Luis was like, he's a homebody. He wanted to be more at home and I wanted to be out. And he said, Luis, you need to be out and Danielle needs to stay home. And so for the longest time, Luis and I were like, we wouldn't get mad at each other, but we were like confused, like what's wrong with us. And after that experience and coming home, I, I think for a long period of time, maybe like years, I just tried to hide, like, I can write. I didn't write. I can read. I'm a really good information processor. I didn't do any of those things. I just tried to stick to what I felt was the role that my culture told me I needed to be. And then I pushed him to, like, hey, you need to be out there getting side jobs. You need to be out there working. You need to be doing this. And it was just kind of a a a very confining and constricting dance that we did. Hmm. Neither of you living your best life or what you were designed to do because you were in this mold living out, you know, expectations. So what, so what was that like to, to start to shift? You said it felt freeing for both of you. Was it a quick shift, kind of a eyes open, big revelation, and it just huge blinders fell off or was it painful and slow and awkward? <laughs> well, it's like both, right? I, I actually like told him the meaning of Azer 
you know, like the bathroom is our private time. If he's in the bathroom or I'm in the bathroom, it's like, don't come in and talk to me. But he was in the bathroom shaving and I went in and I sat down on the edge of the bathtub and I'm like, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you this. And I sat there and I told him and he looked around with, looked around over at me. And I remember just thinking like, yeah, like we are who we're supposed to be. Like, what about that? And then, of course, it doesn't get rid of all the ways we've communicated to each other, (laughs) the patterns we've developed, the impulses we've had. So it's been really messy, to be honest. Yes, it is about like, Yeah. So it's just like a process of unlearning and then and then like imagination. And that's part of me being at school has been a lot of imagination and even him in his work, like imagining what do I want to do? What work do I want to do? What brings me joy? And me being able to embrace and support that like I hadn't been able to before. I love hearing that, you know, having been married for that long, having kids and four kids, like being at your stage of life to, to be able to embrace there's still something new on the horizon. And perhaps I'm st- I still haven't fully discovered what I am intended to be doing. I, I think that's got to be hopeful to, to some of my listeners to hear that. Danielle, you also said something else. This is completely unrelated to your husband, but you were talking about your work with the women at rest and the difference between being an observer and a witness. And I would love for you to talk more about what you mean by that. Yeah, definitely. It's something I've been mulling over and over and over, um, especially because I've read um, John 20, when Jesus comes back and he appears to Mary Magdalene and and she mistakes him for a gardener. And that was like, oh yeah, like he was real. He was embodied. Um, It's like the taste and touch and the sense that it's a real person. And that's the sense that a witness is. There's like a taste and a touch and a feel and a presence uh, versus sometimes I think what happens is to protect ourselves. And, and I think we protect ourselves for a lot of reasons, like out of kindness, maybe we can't handle a situation or um, maybe we're not prepared or we get surprised but in that protection, we are more of an observer or it, maybe it's our own shame that we can't engage the person and come to the situation present. So instead of being able to kind of taste and touch and feel the pain and kind of just sit in the, in the fact that we might not have the answer to that pain. And I think our culture tells us like we need the answer. So if we think we need the answer, then it's definitely safer to be an observer because then you're just kind of taking notes and trying to decide what to do versus versus a witness, which is like an embodied physical, emotional, mental experience, spiritual experience with another human. So I think for me, that's the difference there. And I know you're learning that method at the Seattle School of of being with someone and healing through relationship. Tell us a little bit more about rest and some of the, the more specific work that you all are doing and what you're seeing these days in Seattle around the sex industry. Yeah. So on any given night in Seattle, thousands are, se- 
are trafficked for sex. Um, Backpage.com was an online advertiser for sex that was taken down by a local Washington lawyer. Unfortunately, when it collapsed, uh, sex trade workers and, and, and that whole advertisement, uh, people went back to the streets to sell their bodies um, and pimps started working the streets more and there's less uh, consolidation on the internet. So there's a lot of different smaller web pages and other things that have been a little bit harder to track for law enforcement. So it's kind of, it's kind of put people, honestly, there's been more violence. And I don't, I think it was great that Backpage was taken down. I'm not saying it wasn't great, but we've seen like more violent activity um, Definitely uh, the influence of drugs and also the immigration threat for ICE and other things. It's hard for victims to come forward. There's a lot of fear about being deported or um, going back to a country where they will be trafficked again or they won't be safe. So it's, it's just this complicated issue and the clients that you know, walk in our door, you know, a lot are homeless, a lot are um, people of color, a majority, and uh, a lot are, you know, looking for services, counseling, medical help, medical advocacy, um, drop-in services. So what we try to do is the client identifies the goals And then we try to use our professional skills and resources to help the client reach their goals. And so that varies from client to client. Some clients are ready to come into therapy every week. Others aren't. They may make a few appointments and not show up, but they may show up the fifth time. So, and that's okay. That's like, that's a win because in the stages of change there, they need to be allowed to have movement, even if it doesn't look like the movement we would we would design or hope. So, um, yeah, so it's just a process of battling as like a practitioner or a, a direct service worker, you know, it, you're constantly fighting the internal battle. Am I doing enough? I can't, I can't reach this person. I feel like a failure today. Oh no, that person just left and they're going to be harmed again. I know it. So sometimes it can feel hopeless too. Yes. I know here in Northern Colorado, a lot of our conversation has been some of those basic needs of safe and secure housing and a reliable source of income are first and foremost before any of the trauma can really be faced and any of that internal healing um, started to to be worked on. I'm sure you're seeing similar you know, barriers. And yeah, I'm sure it's worse in Seattle. I've heard about the the housing crisis, really the affordable housing crisis. And so what are some of the things that you're doing around that? Um, we got a, we got a federal grant this year for a rapid rehousing fund. So that's really exciting. Um, so basically client comes in, they need housing. We have a cash fund um, partnered with some other local agencies that we can dip into, you know, that, that fund often it's hard to get into housing because who has even us, like if we had to switch houses, you got to have first and last month's rent, sometimes a deposit. So it's really hard to get that first initial setup going. 
So we have the Rapid Rehousing Fund, and we're also partnered with um, an organization here in Seattle that helps with job and employment services. So several services in Seattle um, businesses actually are offering, you know, business training and a pipeline to be employed. And then we also have this thing called the Beacon, and clients can get this little. Um, it's like a little keychain device and they get a profile and then people in our area can donate to the beacon. So they may say, Hey, I need on their profile. It may say, Hey, I need $15 for work boots. I got a construction job. And then someone can get on the beacon website and donate a dollar or $2 to that person's beacon towards shoes. So it's pretty exciting. That's really creative. Yeah. I'm not surprised because, I mean, Washington and King County, Seattle leads the country in terms of anti-human trafficking work, first in, first in everything, really. We're all watching. And so that's not surprising that something that innovative would, would be out there. What Any others that are kind of unique to the Seattle area that are being utilized yeah. in this work? Yeah. I'm a part of this uh, – a pilot program called the Integrated Health Clinic, and I love it. So basically, I come as a survivor engagement specialist. There's a medical advocate. Uh, sometimes if the person wants, there can be a chemical dependency professional, a mental health counselor, and um, a nurse practitioner. We're actually hiring for that right now. So a client signs up. They say, hey, I want to come to the table meeting. They come in. They say, I have... I have these health goals. I need help signing up for insurance. I need help getting to my general practitioner appointment. I can't find a general practitioner. Um, I need to get this medication. And we go around the table and offer support. And we say, you know what? You need a prescription. Our nurse will say, hey, let's go do it. Let's go get it. So bam, happens right there. Or you need mental health counseling. We can do that this afternoon. You need safety planning. We can do that. Here's who's available to do that. So I really, I really love this clinic that I'm a part of because uh, clients, clients love it. They come in, they get supported, they, they can bring their health needs and we can't solve everything, but we can offer some tangible solutions. So that's fun. Well, and you're cutting out the running around to all the different you know, service agencies and how much time that takes. And if you're using public transportation, like you're just taking care of it all right there. One-stop shop. That seems so simple and yet innovative at the same time. Yeah. I love it because I mean, it's, it's, it's just a generally good feeling to be off, offer somebody tangible help and, and help that they need and deserve and and not have to like you said not have to run them through 30 people or a 40 minute phone call on hold you know mm-hmm. well i i love just from my past with anti human trafficking work i always love hearing about other leaders in the movement and what other agencies are are doing so thanks for sharing more about rest i've had a number of um, anti-trafficking leaders on the show in the last year. And those are always, my listeners really enjoy learning more about that particular issue. So love hearing more. Danielle, I know that you are a writer and you've been writing for Red Tent Living, which is how we initially got connected. Are you in some other spaces and where could people find you or see more of what you're up to online? 
Yeah, so I write, I've written a couple of blogs for the Seattle School blog, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, and then I am just getting my website up and running. If you want to follow my writing when I get my blog, my own blog rolling out, there's a space to say, sign up for information. You just put your contact info in and I'll reach out. It should be up in the next week or two. So then I could reach out to you with more information. Excellent. So definitely by the time this show is live, um, that website will be working. So it'll be in the show notes, Danielle. And I get to meet you face-to-face soon, which I'm super excited about because you will be speaking at the this year's Red Tent Living's Brave On Conference. And what what are you speaking on? Give me a sneak peek. Yeah, I'm going to speak on Hagar. And and how Hagar was created to belong. I love God's questions to her when she's at the well. Where have you come from and where are you going? And I framed my entire book around those two questions. Oh, I, really? Yes, I just came to love that girl. How do you picture her? Can I ask you that? When you picture Hagar, how do you, is she young? Tell me what you picture. I think she must have been very beautiful because she was in Pharaoh's you know, sphere. Mm-hmm. And so I picture her as being a very beautiful, probably black woman. Yeah. Young. Yes. I picture her as very mm-hmm. young and with fierce, fierce sense of she wants to have some dignity. Mm-hmm. Well, I cannot wait to hear you preach about her and meet <laughs> you face to face. It's been so fun to get to know you and to have you on the podcast today. Danielle, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I love the interweaving of Danielle's story with her culture and her past and her journey to live more fully into who she is and her work and her studies. I hope that you are encouraged to consider your own story and how it is weaving itself together and what might be unfolding for you in this next season of life. I love how she talks about Hagar as a woman who wants to belong. And I cannot wait to hear more about that story. Uh, I encourage you to follow along with Danielle, uh, Facebook and Instagram. You can find that out in the show notes. If you don't know about Red Tent Living, I'm sorry, I mention it so often. It is an online magazine. It's a space for women to share stories. We're committed to reframing femininity. And the women who write for us are at all different journeys in their writing life. But what they offer is authentic and true. And once a year, we gather for a live event day-long conference called Brave On, and that's what I was referring to with Danielle. So check it out, redtentliving.com, if you're unfamiliar with that space. Thanks for listening today. This is Beth Bruno on the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.